Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Afternoon, everyone. Amen. I'm Robert. I'm one of the pastors, if you've never met me before. Nice to see you, especially today. Can I ask... Have you ever been caught off guard by bad news? Have you ever been caught off guard by bad news? I think about the neutron bomb, I think that's what they called it, when it dropped on Hiroshima. How many of you know that would have been a, would have been a terrible surprise that would have caught people off guard? And maybe even, I think, the response to it, right, when Pearl Harbor got hit back by the Japanese... Can you imagine those who experienced that being caught off guard? How about the Twin Towers when they went down? I I remember where I was actually sitting when I heard that news about the Twin Towers and then turned on on, on the news and then saw it all happening, being repeated. How about the tsunami when that hit? Was it Thailand? People being caught off guard by bad news. Okay, so that's bad news, but from an objective point of view. How about bad news from a subjective point of view? Have you ever been caught off guard by bad news that personally affected you? I know this is probably going to be quite hard the next couple of minutes. This is hard for my wife who, who lost her dad three years ago. <clears throat> and some of you haven't lost parents, or some of you have some of you have lost children. You've had death steal your children. A lady on my street we talked about a few weeks ago who had her son taken from her by death. Death is a ruthless, impartial, unmerciful enemy. Just in the past two weeks, someone related to a member of our church Her cousin, who was a mum, and her baby were both murdered by the partner, the father of the child. Both the mother and the child murdered. Just in the past week, we've had another death. 27-year-old woman, through illness, leaving her husband and her two children under five. Have you... Have you been affected by death? If so, how did did you respond? How did you respond? How did you feel? My real dad, he died about 15 years ago um, at a relatively young age. He was, at one point, he was stabbed in the neck because of some speaker deal that went wrong with some Jamaicans. He's Jamaican, went to Jamaica, took some speakers and got double-crossed. And then a few years later, he developed Parkinson's disease and he died. My stepdad, who replaced, if you like, my real dad, he died three years ago after suffering years ago from a stroke. Um, My mum is eight years old now. Some of you guys have met her. And I've already begun to anticipate her leaving soon. Now that might sound morbid. But thank the Lord that she has firm trust in Jesus. Death. And often it's circumstances, it's circumstances surrounding death that make it harder. But we shouldn't be surprised that people die. Because that's what people do. But we're surprised, aren't we? And we shouldn't be, but we are. And the biggest reason sometimes for our grief is not the fact that they died, it's the fact that we will possibly never see them again. Now we're going to see this played out in our biblical story this afternoon. And it's deep and dark this overwhelming shadow of despair, this is what our story is going to speak into. 
let me take a minute to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your ways and thank you for your work. Lord, I pray that this afternoon you would revolutionize our thinking regarding death. And Father, would you, would you do that for the sake of the Lord Jesus? Amen. Now, I may have made you feel very uncomfortable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to ask you to, to some degree, make yourself comfortable as we get ready to read from the biblical text. And I'm going to be reading from Mark, and I'm reading from the ESV. Chapter 16, verse 1, our text. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were, and they, and, and they were saying, and they were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?" And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, "Do not be alarmed. <laughs> you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified." He is risen. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Jesus was dead. We just read in chapter 14, verse 1, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. Verse 8 of chapter 14, remember the woman with the alabaster flask of ointment? says about her, she had anointed, Jesus says, my body beforehand for burial. In chapter 14, verse 64, it says that the chief priests... And the elders of the Jewish council, they all condemned him as deserving what? Death. And no great surprise because, because Jesus had told his disciples three times previously that he would be killed. He told them, he told them in Mark chapter 8, chapter 9 and chapter 10. Jesus' disciples on the other hand were not trying to hear it. Peter disagreed, remember, and tried to correct him, even rebuke Jesus. Here in our text, Jesus is now dead. And he's dead and buried. Dead and buried by a a rich, respected member of the council, a man called Joseph of Arimathea, who was a bold disciple. We just saw... That evening had come, and since it was a day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, he was bold, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus or the corpse. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Died. Already? And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Jesus was dead. Now have a look at me at verse 1 of Mark chapter 16. 
It says, when the Sabbath was passed. Now remember, it's approximately 33 AD. This is Sunday morning. Yesterday was Saturday or the Sabbath. And remember how the Sabbath works. The Sabbath, the Sabbath starts when? Friday evening, 6 p.m. Remember the Jewish um, calendar, the days don't work like our Western calendar and days. When did our days start? When did, when did our days start? When did Sunday start? Last night, midnight. For the Jews, their day doesn't start at midnight. It starts at 6 p.m., which is when their other day ends. So the Sabbath started Friday night, 6 p.m., and ended Saturday evening, 6 p.m. And this is not just any Sabbath. It's, it's, the, Sabbath, it's the Sabbath after Passover, during Passover. And Passover, remember, it's a major Jewish festival, right? Celebrating Israel's liberty and freedom from Egypt. And it's where they took the... Remember, they slaughtered a lamb and they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost. And when you got in the house, when you got in the house behind the blood, death was prevented from coming into your house. You weren't affected by death. If you got in the house, if you trusted in a lamb, how's that going to save me? Do it anyway. Kill the lamb, take the blood in the house. The the, the angel of death then does what? Passes over your house. That's why it's called pass over. Incidentally, at the beginning of of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist points at Jesus. And what does he call him? He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the lamb. Of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, these women, in verse 1, they observed the Sabbath. How do we know that? They observed the Sabbath because they waited until Sabbath was passed before we see them presented here. They kept the Sabbath, so up until 6 o'clock last night, they didn't do anything, but after the Sabbath, after 6 o'clock, they go and they get busy. And we'll probably see in a minute what they did. They observed the Sabbath. Why? Because they loved God. They were devoted to God. Mary Magdalene, this is the lady who had seven demons cast out of her. No wonder she's devoted to Jesus. And Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, we saw that in verse 40. And Salome, this is Zebedee's wife, who's the mother of James and John. These women, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Here we see them showing their love, not just to God by keeping the Sabbath, but also showing their commitment to the Lord Jesus right up to the very end. Like the woman that we heard about a moment ago in chapter 14 who broke the alabaster vase and showed her devotion to Jesus. These three women, they're disciples. And we need to make a point of this because Mark makes a point of this. Notice who isn't here. Big mouth Peter ain't here. <laughs> Neither is James or John. None of his 12 disciples. Jesus' brothers and sisters are not here. Joseph, his stepdad, isn't here. And guess what? Even Mary, his mother, isn't here. And the point is, don't get carried away with the prominent characters and at the exclusion or as overlooking the minor quote-unquote characters. Don't get carried away with those who are prominent then or now. Now, how many of you know the difference between vowels and consonants? It's a picture of those that are quote-unquote important versus those that are not necessarily so important. You watch Blockbuster. Is it Blockbuster? Where the woman, she goes, countdown. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Block, remember Blockbuster, that program where da 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 Countdown. Can I have a consonant? Consonant. Can I have a vowel? Vowel. Can I have a vowel? Vowels. And, how many of you know the vowels are really important? A-E-I-O-U. Reminds me of that song back from the 80s. Hey. Freeze. Yeah. <clears throat> now... With regards to the prominent and the minor, listen to Abraham Kuyper. This is an extract from a book called All the Women of the Bible. I mean, what can we say? 
these verses are talking about women in the Bible. Listen to what he says. Amazing. He says, but God's scale of values weighs differently from ours. In our alphabet, God gave us five vowels and 21 consonants. And he has given a human race very few people to assume the solo parts. To the many others, he has granted only the capacity to harmonize when others lead in creation's hymn of love and praise. That situation is quite appropriate. Only in that way can a supreme harmony be attained. A company of successive soloists would be repulsive to our aesthetic taste. See, not everyone can take a lead role. Not everyone can take a visible role, ladies. Love you so much. Especially especially that one over there called Helen. Not everyone can take a lead role, ladies. Uh, Not everyone can be called a preacher, men. So whether I'm a vowel or a consonant, by God's grace, I'm capable of honoring Jesus in a substantial way, amen? These three women have been committed followers of Jesus from back in his home vicinity. They were caring and providing for him. Matthew 27 Verse 55 to 56 says, there were, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him from Galilee. You've got to remember, Galilee, where's Galilee? Way up north, and Jerusalem is way down south. You know what I mean? And between there, you've got, like, it's like, so, uh, Galilee is like a county up in the north. You've got Samaria in the middle, and you've got Judea in the south. In the south. They've come from far, and they've, and they've been ministering to him during this time, verse 56, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, same woman, and, and, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These verses in Matthew find these ladies where? Where are they? Where, where are they as they were looking on? In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, particularly where? At the cross. At the cross. These ladies had followed Jesus from Galilee, through Samaria and Judea and back and forth and are right here now in Jerusalem. And now even beyond the cross as they stand there looking. Even beyond that, verse 46 and 47 of the last chapter said that two of them followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb. See, and that's how they know where to come this morning. Because they clocked him putting Jesus in the tomb. The end of the last chapter. They brought, sorry, they bought, not brought. Why? My pronunciation, help me Lord. They bought. They didn't bring. They purchased, if you like, these spices. The night before, remember, Sabbath ends 6 p.m. So remember, for 24 hours, no one can't do nothing because it's a Sabbath. So as soon as the clock strikes 6, everybody begins to get busy. They open it up. At the bazaars, they open up their stores and bring out their wares. Why? Because everyone's been like not doing nothing for like 24 hours. So need to go and get milk, can it? Need to go and get bread. Need to go and get the, the essentials. So the bazaars are open and everything's buzzing and it's at 6 p.m. after that they go and they collect these spices, possibly, if they hadn't had them already stored up. <clears throat> so they kept the Sabbath by showing their love for God and they, they bought and then they brought more spices, including aloe vera and cinnamon and coriander and frankincense and myrrh. To show and to communicate their love for Jesus. Even now, they came to anoint or to embalm the body of Jesus. Not that he needed it, because Joseph of Arimathea, and we hear from another account that Nicodemus, both of them had already done so excessively in John chapter 19. 75 pounds of spices. My gosh, that's 35 bags of sugar worth of spices, enough to, enough to embalm the whole body and cover the whole floor. In, in the two must have smelt nice. They came to anoint or to embalm or to mummify the body. These women evidently believed what? 
that Jesus was dead. Verse 2. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, again, we see these women's commitment. Up late, shopping, possibly the night before, and then up early the very next morning. How many of you ladies were up late last night? It's Easter, isn't it? And the kids like, what's, what, what's for dinner? What are we eating? What's cooking? What's wrestling? They ain't trying to get involved, right? But they want to know what like, was cooking. Maybe Friday, maybe Thursday night, Friday night, and maybe even last night, Saturday night, ladies, you were up late. Preparing for the next morning, just like these ladies. And then up early the next morning, right? To try and organize and get everybody together. As much as, as, much as we have a healthy contingent of men who serve and predominantly lead here in, in this church, um, the, contrib- the contribution of our women is incredible. Um, even embarrassing for us as men sometimes. And we want to see that continue and develop. That is not just the women serving, but we want to also see the men serving in greater fashion. You know what I'm saying? But we want to see the late ladies. We, we need you to keep serving in that fashion. Car, nobody can do like you do. <clears throat> see, a consistent if you like, consonants that contribute to the health of the community. Notice how Mark writes this story in the present tense, these aspects, as if he wants us to enter into the story. So these ladies are on their way to where? In the verse 2, they're on their way to the tomb. They went to the tomb, again, expecting to find Jesus dead. And notice, they're having a conversation with each other. No doubt, all speaking at the same time like ladies do. I don't know how you do that. Ladies all speak at the same time. Saying, and you can decipher that, what, what they're saying when you're speaking. Hey. And there seemed to be a problem. And this is what they're discussing in their conversation. Verse 3. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Wow. These women, they were well prepared. <laughs> they were well prepared with spices and that they bought and probably prepared late the previous night and they linked up, right? And they got together, they got up early and you know what I'm saying? They left out early and they were all prepared, but they'd forgotten something. They forgot to tick an important item off of the agenda list. The boulder that blocked the entrance. How are we going to get in the tomb? You know when you forget them little big items? I think about like something like a, I don't know, like a, um, a wedding and, you know what I'm saying? You're planning everything down to the letter. And it been? And it, Melissa? You're planning everything down to the letter, you know. Food and the flowers and the cake and the equipment. And you got it all stocked up, ready to go. And people are like, okay, see, so where's the... Where's the, when's the van coming? <laughs> the van, we never, we never booked the van. <laughs> and it's two hours before the wedding, and it's a bank holiday. Not that anyone ever gets married on a bank holiday. Oh my gosh, who's going to move the stone? I'm encouraged to see that as much as these women were on their job, they weren't perfect. And it gives us men hope, right? You know it's going to take some brawn to move the boulder. You get me? You're going to have to call it. Ladies, it's like, you, you can't live with us, ladies, but you can't live without us. Amen? Now, the point is, these women evidently expected the tomb to be intact and that the body of Jesus would be inside. These women had no expectation of a resurrection. They think that Jesus is dead. Verse 4, what do they do? And looking up. See that? And looking up. See, possibly the tomb was on a higher elevation, right? So they had to look up. Or possibly the women were so down and so discouraged. They were so forlorn and distressed and obviously still mourning 
to the point where they couldn't even raise their heads. You know that feeling? And they get to a point where they actually do. They look up. And as they're discussing the problem, the problem wasn't actually a problem. They saw that the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. Matthew helps us with this, with this parallel passage in chapter 28. Verse 1 to 5 says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Ooh. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. I'm like, go on, like rude boy. None of the men was around, you know what I mean? So the angel done it and... I don't know, was he posing? I mean, you got to ask, like, why else is he standing on the stone? He'd be like, you know what I'm saying? Is he like, like, this is me, I move, this, like, like, man's like, I don't know, why is he, why is he sitting on the stone? I don't know. So basically, you got this one, this angel outside the tomb, and he isn't, he isn't the only angel in attendance. Luke and John make reference to this fact. Now that this angel is jamming on the stone. And verse 3 says, His appearance, this angel was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So that means there were some other people on the scene. They trembled. And you've you got to remember... Like, these, these are Roman soldiers here. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to be easily terrified. But with an earthquake and, and this angel, it's like, they're supposed to be guarding the tomb. Right now, they can't help nobody. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. It's a confirmation of the fact that he was dead. Not only did these women expect to see the tomb intact, they also anticipated that the tomb had human contents, and it had neither. Look at verse 5. And entering the tomb... Now, these, these women are braver than me, you know. Car, trust me, I would have I been on my toes. Angel, earthquake, What? It says, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. John, in his account in chapter 20, helps us to see that this man wasn't. He was an angel in the form of a man. So we've got another angel. Now, just like any other normal human being would be, it says, and they were alarmed, which is a bit of an understatement. It means they were awestruck. They were dumbfounded. They were terrified. They were utterly astonished. Now watch this angel prohibit their present response and then permit a replacement response. Verse 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. <laughs> do not be awestruck. Don't be dumbfounded or terrified or utterly astonished. You're like, say what? You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. Who was crucified? Yes. He has risen. Huh? He's not here. Huh? See the place where they laid him. These women expected to see a human corpse, yet they don't see a human or a corpse. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Why Jesus of Nazareth? Because Nazareth is a backwater place of insignificance. Like, someone's, like someone who comes from Peckham. It was said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be like, can anything good come out of Blueborough? <laughs> nah. Now, you know what? I used to live around a corner from Peckham, yeah? So don't say nothing bad about Peckham. Man ain't hating at you. That's, that's my semi-ends. All right. 
right? I'm from south. <clears throat> he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. Remember that place where nothing special, nothing good, nothing of any substance could ever come from? Where? Yeah. And he was crucified. He was finished horribly. And we know that because they saw him mutilated as a lamb to the slaughter. And not surprisingly, John the Baptist, three years earlier, as I said, had referred to him as the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow, what a development. Oh my gosh. We knew that that lamb of the Passover was really important and significant and signified freedom from Israel, freedom from Egypt, and the prevention of death. But you're telling me that lamb, that, that lamb is, is, is symbolic of, of the lamb, of Jesus, and, and he wasn't going to just take away the sin of a family and prevent death from coming into the life of a family, but he was going to pre- Take away the sins of the world. Yes, this very Jesus was the one who would become the sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 6, it says, And he, speaking of Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and he still is. And we esteemed him not. Very often we do. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But why? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes, his lashes, we are healed. All we All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slaughtered on the very day that the Passover lamb was slaughtered. It be like the same time that Jesus is standing before Pilate. I don't know if any of you watched The Passion of the Christ over the Easter I did. I find it so hard to watch that film, especially the scourging scene. And Jesus is standing, Pilate is standing there next to Jesus. And as he's standing there next to Jesus, the priests are over in the temple getting the the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial animal ready for sacrifice. So we got two lambs. And the chief priests are here about to, but before they cut the throat of the animal and allow it to bleed and die, they have to inspect it and they look at it and they say, oh, has it got any blemishes? Has it got any marks on it? Broken bones? Is it a perfect lamb? And as they're doing that, Pilate's standing here looking at Jesus and saying, why have you brought him here? I look at him, I find no fault with him. Just like they're over at the temple looking at the lamb and saying, hmm, yeah, this one looks good. I can't find any fault with it at the same time. And these same brothers that are inspected the lamb are the same guys that we read about who want Jesus dead. Not recognizing that he is actually the lamb. That that lamb has signified for the past thousand years in Israel. And he would take away the iniquity of us all. First Corinthians seven. First Corinthians five verse seven says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Sacrificed but dead. Slain. Yet is he alive? How? Well, because he's risen. A few few weeks after this scene at the tomb, you hear Peter stand up and preach his first public sermon. And listen to what he says in this sermon. He says, look, Acts 2, verse 22 to 32. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Here we go again. 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Ouch. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yeah, God had organized it and set it up, but you killed him, and God is going to hold you responsible. And it says, look, verse 24, but God raised him up. <laughs> Loosen the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him. Now, Pete, now Peter is going to quote David from Psalm 16, and it's a prophetic prediction about Jesus. He says, I saw, I saw the Lord before me. This is David speaking. For he is at my right hand. David, the Lord is at your right hand. David ain't talking about David. That I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or the realm of the dead or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made me, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, here Peter now make a comment on what he quoted from Psalm 16. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that unlike Jesus, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. You can go check out his decomposed body and his bones. Verse 30, him being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, and how many of you know Jesus is a direct descendant of David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That is, his body did not decompose, didn't need the spices, hey. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and, and all of that, we are all witnesses. Back to our text. The angel says, he's not here. See the place, see the, see the place where he lay, where they laid him? John 20 also says that when they looked, all they saw were the linen wrappings and the face cloth where the body should have been. The angel comforts them and prohibits their present response and permits a replacement response. Can you see what's happening? These women have swung from one extreme emotion to another extreme emotion. Terrible sadness and overwhelming dark despair. One moment to amazing, astonishing, unbelievable, inexpressible joy, hope, and euphoria. Can you see that? Now, with that in mind, I'm going to try and tell you a story. <laughs> I'll say a quick story. What does that mean? <clears throat> now, this is one of the most remarkable stories that I've ever heard. And you will see that I'm not exaggerating by the time I get to the end, if the Lord helps me to tell it properly. In April 2006, in a place called Indiana, in America, there was a terrible road traffic accident where five people died. One of those in the accident was thrown 50 feet from the vehicle that they'd been traveling in, from the wreckage. And, they, and this person was mangled. They had to be identified by a purse that was next to the body. And... Um, that was a young lady called Lauren, Laura Van Ryan. She was 18 years old. Parents, her parents came to the hospital and they had a 24-hour vigil next to her bed. She was there. She was covered in bandages. Just an absolute mess. Weren't even sure if she was going to make it. And her parents were at her bedside for for five weeks, hoping and praying for a miracle. Now, one of the other casualties was another young lady whose name was Whitney Serak. Now, Whitney Serak, <clears throat> whose parents and family were obviously devastated, right? Because 
um, she had died. And they were inconsolable and they were distraught. Um, at her funeral, they were finding it very, very, obviously very, very difficult because they had to bury their daughter. And again, some of us, we know what that feels like. Five weeks later, after the, the funeral, the family of Laura, um, who had been blogging her progress, because remember, she's in bed really terribly ill. They're blogging her progress every day, putting up updates, and you know, this is how she is, this is where she's at, and the doctors are doing this. While they're blogging, um, they have a, t- a terrifying surprise. As the bandages over the course of weeks begin to come off, her sister was concerned that her face, although deformed and damaged by the accident, looked oddly strange. At first, she just put it down to the accident. After checking the dental records, the doctors found a very serious discovery. They'd made a terrible mistake. The girl that everyone thought was Laura was actually Whitney Serac. Now, they're sitting in the hospital next to the actual body, not of Laura, but of Whitney. And you can see they look very similar, don't they? They were sitting next to the body of a young woman that was not their daughter. And a phone call is, is then made to Whitney's family, who are obviously still mourning. Incidentally, Whitney's dad is a youth pastor and um, a youth leader in his church. Um, and they just buried their daughter. The father was away on a missions trip with the youth group when the phone rings at 2.30 in the morning. The mum picks up the phone. It's a coroner on the other end, and he says, Hello, Miss Serac. Is there anyone else in the house with you? And the mum says, what do, you, what do you mean? Oh, yeah, there is. My daughter's here. So she grabs the daughter, gets her out of bed, and puts her on one of the other phones. Because, you know, everyone got three or four phones in the house on the same line. So mum's on the phone. The daughter's on the phone. And the coroner says, we have reason to think that your daughter is alive. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that news? Would you immediately say, Whoa, can't believe it, yippee, wonderful! You know how they responded? No, said the daughter. No, 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 mom, don't believe him. He's lying to you, don't believe him. Is that an irrational response? We understand that, don't we? You're hurting too much to ever even dare hope that, that that could be true. Can you begin to see and feel how these three women at the tomb, at this news about the Jesus that they love and are devoted to, is is now what? He's alive. We thought he was dead. And the angel now gives these disciples, because that's what they are. The angel gives these disciples, these committed female disciples, a commission in verse 7. He says, look, he says, go. You'd be like, we can't even stand up. What do you mean? Go. Go and tell his other disciples and tell Peter. Now, isn't that beautiful? Because remember what Peter just done, right? Go and tell them that he, that is Jesus, is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You should have expected this. You shouldn't have been surprised by this. Jesus said it to them in Mark chapter 14, even. Not Acts 22. He says, but after I am raised up, he already told them, he says, 
I will go before you to Galilee in Mark 14, 28. You know, sometimes our circumstances prevent us from responding rather than reacting to the words of Jesus. Death would come, but Jesus says, I told you that I'm the resurrection and the life. Verse 8, and they went out and they fled from the tomb. For look, trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Understandably. By way of quick application... How many of you know sometimes we get big boulders that block our passage? Sometimes we get anxious about things that we just can't change. Oh man, what are we going to do about the boulder? How many of you know the stone was moved for access, not for the, not for the sake of Jesus to get out, but for the seekers to come and look in? Can you see how you can look at a situation and see it wrongly? May God help us to see difficult circumstances from God's point of view, from a God's eye point of view. How about Mary? Mary was, Mary was possessed by demons. How many, how many of you are here, maybe here because someone invited you and you've never even been to church? Or, then again, maybe you've been in church for a while. But you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't, I can't function, I can't even, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do without substances, I can't, I can't do without having somebody there, male or female, I can't function, I can't sleep at night. And you're restless in your soul. Jesus delivered this woman who was in that state and he set her free to the point where she became a devoted follower of Jesus. Jesus set her free. Jesus can set you free, my sister. How about the unique way that that Mark, by, by, by by the ability and the leading of the Holy Spirit, honors women Beautifully, and women ought to be honored and treasured and cared for and respected and served. We need to hear more of that. And how about the private message to Peter? I mean, goodness. Peter, maybe the other apostles could have, should have been there, but Peter should have been there, but he couldn't be there because of where he was, right? Peter knew that he'd, he'd flopped, man. How, is, how encouraging is this for, for, for you, for me, for us, when we're in them places where we flop horribly? Imagine, I will never do that. Remember when you said that five years ago? I will never, what? Who, he done what? And then you find yourself in that place. I know I've been there. I've got both hands in the air. That's why I'm not so quick. Like 10 years ago to judge a man, I pointed a finger. I heard the news about Bob Coy, I was like, seen. Better pray for the family, like Pastor E said in the text. Wow. Private message to Peter, encouraging his heart that God hadn't abandoned him. Often we misunderstand what God does. May we be challenged to look at our circumstances from God's point of view rather than from our own. And let's consider the hope that the resurrection of Jesus provides for us possibly a new perspective on death, possibly for you maybe a new perspective on Jesus and his death, but also hopefully a new perspective on our own death. How many of you know it's coming? It's coming. But this, all of this comes by virtue of Devotion to Jesus, but starts with recognition of Jesus and what he came to do. Amen? Jesus is not dead. He's, he's alive. Let's pray. Maybe I'll ask the band to come join me. <clears throat>
dear Lord God and our Father in heaven, would you cause us to be surprised by good news today? Cause us to be surprised by good news. Father, so many of, so many of us have, have suffered bereavement, the pain of death and the loss of loved ones. And as much as becoming a Christian, becoming a believer, so much changes, Lord, there are some things that just don't change. And there are circumstances we have no control and power over because we live in a fallen world. Yet, you don't deny that, but you respond to that. Yet, I can't even say you respond to that. You already planned before the beginning of the ages that you were going to send a saviour who was going to who is going to contribute to affecting this terrible problem that we have, which is death, that comes about because of sin. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the promised seed. He's the son of David. He's the lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. And he's the one who was dead because he was crucified for a reason. And that crucifixion, that death that he endured on the cross was for our sin. Father, would you help us to understand that today? Would you help us to understand that this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, the same day when the women went to the tomb and found it empty, Lord, would you help us to see the good news that Jesus is alive and because he's alive, He's able to stand in the gap for us. He's able to to be our mediator. There's only one mediator between man and God, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us to turn our attention and our affection to him today in order that we might get our sins washed away through the precious blood that he shed that was splattered that lamb that was killed in order to take away the sins of the world thank you for resurrection Sunday, amen to find out more about us visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.